My name is Leslie Ruddick. I'm a journalist and uh, I'm here today to be sort of facilitating an unusual kind of hustings in which, as you can see, I was just saying earlier, it's like an old-fashioned Dundee dance. You know, the boys are on one side of the room and girls on the other. Um, in this particular case, it's actually the, 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 all our panellists happen to be female politicians, which perhaps speaks in itself of a cultural change in Scotland, the likes of which I never thought I'd love to see. That's good. Um, and on the other hand, we have um, two kind of experts in their different fields of things to do with culture, because what we're trying to look at tonight are all the aspects of Scotland's culture, which actually could keep us here until tomorrow, though we won't. Um, and the idea really is to try to make the politicians slightly try to answer the experiences that they're hearing from the folk who are you know, throwing up some ideas and experiences from being at the sharp end. The theme of, of culture is one that perhaps other hustings around Scotland have tackled, but it seems pretty appropriate that it should be tackled in Dundee um, since most of you, I imagine, are Dundonians, you don't need probably the superlatives and the, the long list of kind of, of uh, culture-related successes that Dundee has had. But since we're filming tonight, and this might go further in the parish, um, it's worth skipping through quite a, a few of them. Um, there are 3,000 people in Dundee's creative industry. Um, there, the V&A, as we all know, is about to come on tap uh, in 2018. Dundee is U the uh, UK's first UNESCO city of design. Uh, what else have we got going for it? Well, we all know it's been a big gaming centre. We're sitting in the epicentre of some of that here in Abertay. Grand Theft Auto, Minecraft were born and raised here or nearabouts. Though uh, Rockstar North has now migrated south to be in the old Scotsman building, um, which uh, has now supplanted the journalism there. Perhaps another expression of how our culture is actually changing. And one in four children live in poverty in Dundee, which is part of the culture too. And I guess some of the things that people are concerned about, trying to integrate all of that so that we don't get a sort of creative elite sitting in a budgie cage like we are before you tonight, <laughs> um, and somewhat distant really from what is the kind of pulsing heart of Dundee. Um, so we'll try and tackle all of that tonight. Um, and there's much to say besides that you could bring into this. I was just thinking on the way here, that um, one of the, the most striking aspects of Scottish culture that I've seen in this election was the Gary Tank Commander leader's <laughs> interviews. Um, I'm just a matter of interest, who saw that? Okay, who didn't see that? You're so uncool. We've made you our experts for the night. This is just yeah. scary. We're too busy. You're too busy for a laugh. You're too busy for a laugh, Gary, come on. Well, I mean, one of the things that was striking about that, apart from being sort of disrespectful, unpredictable and yet lively, was actually so much of it was conducted in Scots, which actually nearly everybody managed perfectly easily. So perhaps that's an aspect of tonight as well. But anyway, let me start off by just talking a little bit more to our two experts. Um, Gary Clark, who's an award-winning songwriter and producer, and Professor Gregor White, who's head of the School of Arts, Media and Computer Games here at Abertay University. Um, if you kind of clicked on the video that I did to just have a wee shifty at Gary in uh, his younger days, you'd see him with a hat more than anything else. And then you'd be going around humming Mary's Prayer to yourself for about a week, which is what I've been doing. Really brilliant, memorable song. Um, but actually, Gary's been involved now with a, what will you will soon know as an astonishing film by all its uh, write-ups and previews, uh, Sin Street, 
Street, which is a new romantic vision of Dublin in the 1980s. You can't wait already, can you? I mean, that's just sold it. And uh, there's an Oscar-nominated song um, out of all of that, uh, which has been... Is it... That's too early for the nominations. They're is just it? touting it as... They're just touting. Yeah, there's actually been three of the songs have been mentioned in various different publications. But you, you've co-written all of the songs. Yes, apart from one, I didn't do the end title song because I'd left Dublin at the time when they reshot a scene. So right, that's a break. Say, is yeah. that one of the ones that looks like it's nominated? No, people tend to be going towards a song called "Drive It Like You Stole It," which was one that I did on my own. Actually, right, so. "Drive It Like You Stole It." Yeah, that's got nothing to do with home, has it? <laughs> so. Just, just looking at the, the relevance of this, I guess, is working class lad made good in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And how, how did that happen a bit? Because perhaps there's, there's something in there which we would hope some kind of uh, uh, the politicians here and mm -hmm. a government structure might be able to kind of help or might it not? Oh, definitely. Um, but I think, um, well, basically, when I... I, I moved to London when I was 19 to try and Just get a record. Just before you start, since everybody will want to know precisely where you come from, because, I mean, if Dundee's like anyone else, um, they want to know a street. Uh, Douglas, or kind of border Douglas Craigie. Crathy Place. Is that enough? To go up Crathy Place? You all right now? Okay, on you go. So, yeah, when I was 19, I moved to London in search of the elusive record deal. And at that time, the idea of being able to get your band signed from Scotland was next to impossible, especially Dundee. Glasgow had a bit more of a thing going on. Um, but we found it really hard in London, slogging, doing gigs, living in a squat, all that stuff. It lasted three years and suddenly there'd been a shift when probably triggered originally by the Glasgow bands like Orange Juice and stuff, but then subsequently Dundee bands like Associates. Um, focus of the music industry suddenly shifted up north and, st and they started to send A&R scouts up to Scotland. There was a, a really healthy um, local gig scene here and there was um, a journalist called Bob Flynn who was writing music reviews for NME Melody Maker amongst other publications and at th that time those publications were really powerful and um, meant a lot. So he saw us play a gig in um, Edinburgh, I believe it was, and wrote a review in NME that kind of triggered this whole snowball of record labels coming up to see us and publishers coming up to see us. And because we'd really slogged it in London, we were we were really ready for it, you know? So... Um, and you obviously, meantime, you'd come back home. Was that, in your heads at the time, an admission of defeat? Or um, that... I think I was the only one that felt that. I didn't want to leave London because I just didn't want to give up on the dream because I, I sort of believed that I was, you know, that I, I was born to do music, really. And I didn't, you know, and it felt like a step backwards. But it turned out to be the thing that made the huge difference, you know. Because so, suddenly it was cool. Or suddenly it was, it was cool, you know. There was bands being signed, like Deacon Blue, Hue and Cry. Uh, you know, there was a lot of them at that time. So I'm still things. waiting to hear something that a politician could have helped you with here, particularly apart from your train fare up and down the road. Well, <laughs> I mean, the, okay, so I want to sort of cut to what's happened in music. There's really been a revolution that's happened in the time that I've been making records. And I was actually very lucky that I accidentally kind of got in ahead of the game. And that is to do with not using big recording studios, but people working in really small environments, working on what we now have the technology 
my first um, studio that I basically put together myself in a bedroom, um, I took my recorder in advance for 10 short songs, which was my first solo record. And I took the recorder in advance, which would traditionally be spent in big studios. And I used the money to build a studio in my house. And then I made the record in the house. And part of that was fueled by the idea that, that you know I was in a precarious business at the best of times. And I wanted to be able to have the facility to make records on my terms at any point if I lost my record deal and whatever, you know. Um, as it happened, I sort of drift, people started to ask me to write and produce for other records and that put me in a really great position because I was able to do demos and stuff, um, you know, off my own back. And that revolution is what's kind of happened with the technology now. We have programs that are called Digital Audio Workstations, DAW, and literally on a laptop, you have all the tools you need to make a record, uh, with the exception of the microphone and the headphones. But you can make a record. One of the big ones is made by Apple. It costs £150 for what would have been probably £150,000 worth of equipment, maybe more, you know. And, um, and so that revolution has meant that the, the, the superstars of music now are actually music producers. Mm -hmm. And they're not traditionally the music producer that I remember from like the late 70s or early 80s where it was a guy with these cowboy boots up on the mixing desk. You know, it's, they are actually programming and playing all of the instruments and they are making the music, the track from scratch, you know. And they are also part of the songwriting team. And the um, when I came back here two years ago from Los Angeles, I actually wanted to find and develop young songwriters, artists, and particularly record producers. Now the record producer, as I say, is very important and he or she is very important in the process and that's reflected in the way that they get paid. The record producer is paid upfront advances that are non-recoupable. They also get a record royalty, a production royalty, and they get the songwriting royalty. So it's the most lucrative side of the business as well. And when I got here, I found lots of talent, lots of singers and songwriters, lots of bands, and nobody not one person working on these digital audio workstations that could that have revolutionized music and it, I, I started to wonder why that was and the the people who are absolutely winning at that game are the sweets and stockholm is now considered to be a center of music in the same way that nashville or los angeles were and still are um and i've had to go to work in Stockholm a lot with these producers and songwriters. And there's this kind of um, process of mentorship that you see there that, I mean, we're so far behind that we don't even have people that could mentor the young people, that they will take on board a young wannabe producer at, say, 17. I'll go into a writing session and my co-writer for that day, a co-producer for that day, will say, is it okay if young Lucas sits in on this session? And I say, of course. And then next time he says, is it okay if Lucas joins us and writes on the session? And then maybe a year later I go back and Lucas is producing his own records, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the culture that I would like to see us look at how we can make that happen here, where we can actually have a, a real viable um, music industry where people are actually making records that are getting out there into the world. Because it's an international business, yeah. you know. 
Well, look, so, we'll not give too many more clues here, so we we'll leave everyone sweating away <laughs> trying to think about how they could facilitate that. I mean, with, with regard to Sweden, mm. I mean, is it too simplistic to say that ABBA kind of led the way? Uh, they led the way, but Sweden has had a music education programme that goes back to the 1940s, and they, all kids can get... Um, extracurricular music, there's also culture schools that um, if they excel in certain areas they can get educated in schools that are geared towards that. They're actually um, taught, nowadays they're actually taught music production and recording. So they're ahead on the technical game as well. So like a normal, just an average bunch of folk in a class would get taught music would, production? I don't think it would happen in an average class. Right. These are kind of extracurricular things, but they get grants to do it. They don't have to pay for it. Um, I think I think basically, depending on your income, you can pay up to something like, I think it's something like £100 a semester yeah. or something like that. It's not a lot. It's government funded. That seems, seems to be the Nordic way of quite a lot of stuff. You can also get your childcare for the same amount, no more than £100 a month yeah. in Norway. So, yeah, that would... Sounds about the right. I mean, just briefly, the culture, the way that it works there is you'll tend to find that five or six producers will get together and maybe rent a building, like a warehouse or something, and they'll all have a little room inside that. And that tempts the record labels to send to them their artists. So the record labels know that if they go there for a week that they're going to come back with seven, eight, nine, ten songs, you know. Oh. So there's a kind of culture that... And, and they, they own publishing companies, so... When they bring in these young kids and mentor them, they have a piece of their publishing. It's just a small piece, but it means that it's all feeding itself. And, um, you know, it's an interesting um, model because yeah. it's really working for them. They have something like 50% of the hits on the Billboard chart this year are written by Swedish and writers and producers. That, right, who knew that? Come on, be serious. Anybody? No. Right, well, there you are. That's you. Okay, Austin, you're, you're kind of a bit... A bit involved. Um, <laughs> well, actually, this this sort of just reminds me. Let's talk to Gregor for a bit because that talk of the warehouse reminded me just of, of a story I kind of find just quickly. But um, I think there's been half a million quid given by Creative Scotland to Train Spotting Two, who are I think filming as we speak in a warehouse in West Lothian somewhere, um, which is one of you know the many things you might try to take as a kind of totem of how well the creative arts are doing. Is this vexed issue of a film studio? But I mean, what? How would you, first of all, benchmark how well Scottish culture is doing? Um, that suppose benchmarking is a really interesting word to use because you know, we seem to become obsessed at the political level of measuring uh, cultural activity or, or cultural outputs. You know, we, we become very instrumental in the way that we we look at. Uh, the creative economy, creative economy being one of these buzz words, well, phrases. Well, you're allowed to just sweep that, it all away and say, we haven't got a star <laughs> yeah. like Elvis, so we just ain't cutting it. You know, whatever you think. I, th I think you know, we've seen a, a kind of uh, period of, of the kind of creative communities taking the law into their own hands a little bit and, and not relying so much on uh, you know the instruments of government to, to support them. But... Uh, you know, finding ways of, of being creative and, and building communities around themselves, like-minded people uh, that aren't reliant on, on government interventions at all. You know, the, the technologies that Gary's referring to help support that. It's much easier to find communities that are sharing interests with you. It's much easier to create content. It's much easier to distribute content yourself. So you, uh, many, many filmmaking communities and filmmakers in Scotland don't rely on having a studio at all. Uh, you know, but 
in terms of, of creating an industry in Scotland, then you, you need that kind of infrastructure uh, to support it. But it's this, this blend of, uh, of infrastructure, of these kind of organs of culture, that uh, when they help uh, communities to uh, express themselves and find themselves, so they act as kind of loci for, for communities. So uh, you know, things that have made a big difference in Dundee uh, have been you know, the REP, the DCA, the DNA coming in are all kind of uh, totems that, that allow cultural communities to, to thrive in the city. And you see that on a kind of larger scale across the, the country, that uh, you know, political interventions are having less and less impact. You know, there's, a, there's a kind of cultural austerity as well as an economic austerity in, in Scotland. There's not very much money to, to throw at, at culture anymore. And it, it becomes harder and harder to make the argument to support culture and creative industries when you know, there's not enough teachers in the classroom, there's not enough doctors on, on the wards, it becomes harder and harder to, to, to justify expenditure in uh, the cultural areas. And again, that's driving people towards you know, creating their own communities, creating their own resources and creating their, uh, their own kind of uh, networks to get their work in. Well, the ones that you mentioned there, I mean, are you know, obviously are the kind of stellar front of shop kind of uh, projects <laughs> yeah. in Dundee, but I was just reading before I came in about uh, the sad fate of the Tin Roof Collective. I don't know anybody from here, that here, um, who, who were working away, I think, uh, within the art school. Yeah. And then the warehouse proved to be condemned, I think, in some way. And they found nowhere, I don't know if they found anywhere else to go. Does anyone know? Um, and, you know, it, it's that sort of thing that worries people that, you know, you get the, yeah. you do get just very grassroots youngsters yeah. um, trying something, then actually there's no help for them. But to be blunt, the VNA can overrun. Yeah, yes, uh, and and has done and will. Um, yeah, you know, uh, there there are also examples of, of where these kind of collective uh, ways of working and that sort of distributed overhead of of working as a collective have worked very well. So you know, there's Fleet Collective in the city. There's the Dundee Games Collective, which are small, you know, dynamic, very agile. Kind of organisations, and and the, the kind of organisations that that we need now to be able to kind of survive the uh, the unpredictability and the volatility of, of the the creative economy. So I'll use it again. Um, well, let's get off the economy yeah. for a minute then. Um, what about where is Scotland's culture now after the long series of epic political events we've been through, including the unmentionable referendum? Um, has that <laughs> sort of changed Scotland's culture at all? Um, I, I think it, it has changed, I think, you know, in, in terms of a, a creative population. Uh, there's, there's certainly much more confidence in, in these kind of communities, these sort of self-forming groups, than there is in the kind of uh, instruments of state. You know, creative Scotland has been beaten up regularly, both by uh, the government and by, you know, uh, pitchfork-wielding pitch mobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we've, uh, we've taken the law into their own hands there. So, you know, th there's, there's lots of challenges around about organising uh, culture. And uh, you know, the, 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 these grassroots organisations seem to be much more adaptable than, than you know, these bureaucracies that have been, been put in place. Uh, the, you know, the challenge for, for governments, I think, is, you know, how do, how do you make these, uh, these organisations more nimble, more fleet of foot, more responsive? Uh, to the kind of creative communities we're seeing now, especially in, in places like 
uh, Dundee, you know, less so in Edinburgh and Glasgow, where there are big, uh, big cultural organisations and, and a lot of uh, support, powerful support for for the cultural organisations, Scottish Opera and the, and the National Orchestra. You have very powerful uh, lobbying groups uh, that, that can represent them, but these places like Dundee that, that don't have that kind of authority uh, in the corridors of power. You know, how do how do the local MPs represent cultural communities in, in their cities, um, and and how do the you know their instruments of, of power change and adapt to, to reflect that? Just <clears throat> last thought to both of you: How well do you think broadcasters cover Dundee? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's a little bit blink and you miss it, um, but. Uh, you know, there, there's, I was actually joking earlier that yeah. this is like question time with Dundonians in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. that's a very, that's a very rough that, That's always a dangerous combination. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's why I was looking forward to it so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm so um, disappointed. <laughs> yeah, the, Do you know, I mean, just a matter of yeah. fact, that, that I, as far as I understand, Dundee is still the only city in Scotland it doesn't actually produce anything in radio or television for the BBC. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that as well. But, you know, there, there, there are studios in the city, and, and you know, STV recently won the, the license to, to run local TV from, from Dundee. You know, I think the viability of that will be the, the next question, and, and you know, how much airtime Dundee gets within that local television uh, roster will be interesting to see as well. Any other thoughts apart from that question time? <coughs> Um, Broadcasters, yeah. blink, blink, and you miss it still. I, I never watch very much TV anymore. <laughs> well, we got that from earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But the thing is, the, the kind of examples that you've both been mentioning of, of, of what's either happening here or might be happening somewhere else, um, these are not things that you might expect to see very easily. I mean, maybe. maybe I'm I mean, wrong. the thing that I'm finding so frustrating is really that the, the young people trying to make a living from making music. They don't really have the facility to do it. They don't have the education to do it. They don't have the knowledge. They don't get, they're not really in touch with the real music business. And it seems so far away that they feel completely hopeless. When in actual fact, it's just there. It's like, you know, we could have people writing songs that go on albums. I mean, even the technology, you don't have to do that with it. That's what I did with it. But, you, you know, you can make your own indie records. You can do whatever you want, you know. Sounds like you've got at least a second, third, or fourth career waiting for you here, Gary. But you knew that. <laughs> well, let, let me. I've still got the same one. Yes, it is actually. It is all the same one. Let me turn to the, to the politicians then and um, see what what you make of what. Well, let me first of all just ask you each of you to just pick something that you've heard from there that you think you've got something to say about. You know how we could improve things. And in fact, just in case they're feeling a bit wobbly, give them a big round of applause. <laughs> Lauren, something that you heard there that kind of rung a bell or something that is within the manifestos that you've got yeah, to improve? Um, Gary, um, I, I was 17 when I went to London to make my fortune and um, it did obviously not go as well as yours because I'm back up here and... Um, well, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> So that's choice. With a lot less money than I started when I went down, specifically, <laughs> I only made it six months. Um, but I also tried to pursue a creative um, ideal, although not quite as uh, fixed as songwriting. I tried to 
um, become a circus performer, breathing fire. Seriously? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and I was quite good at it, but not quite good enough to make it into the circus, unfortunately. Uh, um, but, I mean, I, I think I kind of understand what you're saying about um, there not being any sort of mentorship. And um, I, I've noticed a lot of my friends that have wanted to go into that sort of similar careers, creative careers, songwriting careers, and they've just not really been able to because... Um, they get the band together, they do their stuff, but they don't really know where to go after that. And um, I think it's amazing how much um, you can do on a laptop now, how much, oh, how much software there is available. Um, some of my friends are quite spectacular. Let, let but, me button, because I mean, we're not looking for a love in here completely. <laughs> <laughs> We've already got the gig and um, the video by the sounds of it. But the thing is, what are you going to do to improve I mean, any of this? There's pointers there from both What the Lib Dems have said, um, and, and I'm fully behind that is that we want to see music tuition um, and we want to see money like poured into that in schools because well, it's the important price to make sure that it's modern music oh too, absolutely you know? um, I mean that's what there's nothing me. wrong with classical music either if people want to learn the violin then I'm definitely let them but, but I technology has still been, has been used in classical music as well and film and jazz and anything the technology is relevant to any kind you can make any kind of music with it definitely like to see sort of things like that updated. I mean, we already teach coding in schools. Why are we not teaching things like music mm -hmm. production as well? Because they're all valuable okay. skills that Scotland needs. I agree. Okay, Maggie? <laughs> Thanks, Leslie. Good evening, everyone. I'm Maggie Chapman from the Scottish Greens. Um, I was, I was interested in what you said, Gregor, about cultural austerity as um, be, being, being what we're suffering, as well as economic austerity. I, I grew up in a musical household. My dad was a musician and he was instrumental, pardon the pun, in um, de developing an ethnomusicology centre in Harare in, in Zimbabwe. And one of, the th one of the reasons he was able to do that was because of um, very, very clear government funding and government backing. And I think that's something that we, we are very clear about. Culture and support for the arts can't just be an add-on, can't be a luxury, can't be seen as something that you do when you've just got spare bits and pieces um, or you find spare bits and pieces down the, down the back of the sofa. It's intrinsic to who we are, it's intrinsic to our cultural identity and it's very, very much a part of how we function as human beings and I think it, it, is, an, it is an aspect of, aspect of the economic austerity that is making all of us poorer um, all of us poor uh, as individuals, never mind as, as members of communities, members of collectives. And I think that there's something very, very important um, that we have to do in, in, in the next um, uh, parliamentary term is to make sure that we protect budgets that are there to support the arts, protect budgets that are there to support culture, whether that's in schools, whether that's in, in, in the, the sort of grassroots stuff that, that, that you were talking about. Is to, that as good as it gets protect, in this environment, to be honest, protecting what we've got? I, th I think there are ways that we can harness some of the creativity, as you were saying, you know, it, it's about providing, I suppose, providing a foundation from which other things can spring, from which really, creativity... For example, as I understand it, the Greens are proposing a monthly compensation payment yeah. for professional artists, yes. which would be like being on the dole. So basically, you could be on the, you, you're technically unemployed, but you're being a professional artist. Yes, and you can so, so, so uh, working, working artists, working uh, uh, create, creative uh, professionals don't have to rely on the arduous process that is the, 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 the welfare system that we've got at the moment, which, which is awful for everybody, but, uh, but I think make, making sure that we have support and we recognise that 
creativity isn't something that fits into a nine-to-five job. It doesn't fit around um, appointments at job centres, appointments at libraries for, for searching for jobs, that kind of thing. That actually we value it as as a, co a coherent contribution to our okay. society. Right. I can't. I can't see David Cameron and sort of you know. George Osborne getting too hot and bothered about that as a proposal, but we after all have soon got our Scottish welfare system, yep. so who knows if Hopefully. that might be a, a characteristic of it. Shona Robson. One of the things that Gary was saying that struck me was the, the digital and global nature of the music industry. When my daughter's turning 13 and it's all about what's on YouTube, mm -hmm. people becoming famous overnight because they've recorded something in their bedroom and put it on and suddenly it takes off it's all over social media and this person becomes a an international legend which is a interesting thing quite a scary thing as well and how does how do we support young Scots in that global industry to, to be able to make their mark um, I mean a few things that are happening already and are going to um, be happening more um, is the support through the the, um, the youth and music initiative through Creative Scotland, just, you know, which does do good work. I accept it's had some criticism, but I think if I was having a good look at its um, its plan going forward, because being the, the health minister, I'm not as au fait with the detailed plans of Creative Scotland, but I actually read it um, in some detail. And what's interesting about it is the focus on um, making sure, for example, the 2018 is the year of young people and they're going to build up the youth music initiative to ensure that every young person leaving primary school is able to play an instrument. And what I was thinking on the back of what you were saying about Sweden is how do you then take that, that raw talent um, and open up career opportunities for young people? I think the modern apprenticeship system is one way. So if you look at Aspire in Dundee, which I think is a great programme which focuses on drama, uh, music and dance mm -hmm. what they're now linking into is the modern apprenticeships to not just in terms of upfront you know songwriting and um, and performance but also behind the scenes opportunities mm -hmm. in in theatre in, in the music industry um, and trying to link that interest in the arts and its collective sense to a potential career that young people might not have even thought of See, you, you touched on the thing there about the international thing. I don't think it's possible to make a living in the digital age making music, especially mm -hmm. where, where there's a lot of copyright issues as well, well that, are, yeah. that need yeah, to be looked yeah. at. But it's not possible to make a living unless you're getting your music out to billions of people mm -hmm. because the streaming rates and stuff are just so low, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So there's a lot of that stuff to look at as well. But we can't just focus on local. I think you have to kind of focus on global and people who have done that who are maybe they're not in Scotland should be getting the information mm -hmm. into into people here who want to do that for a living and help them to understand how it works and how they can you know what I mean yeah, I think whether that's bringing people in to talk mm -hmm. to and it's also talking to the educators as well mm -hmm. I think the educators need to be kind of updated yeah. on what's actually happening because yeah. a lot of them are not in the real music business so much actually as, one step ahead obviously like your colleague beside you potentially yeah, you know, I think that it's interesting that we're talking about young people and the opportunities open to them. But you know, I think one of the maybe unintended consequences of the the curriculum for excellence and the constraint that's put on subject choice and things on on, on young people now is leading to the erosion of arts and music and language education in, in secondary schools. And you know, there's a risk that uh, by the time kids are coming out of secondary school, you know, they'll have lost 
interest through lack of opportunity to study, study in these areas. So that's interesting because my daughter just going through primary school, I would say the opposite is true, certainly from her primary school experience, in that the, the use of music and drama and the arts in subjects across the curriculum in a way that I don't remember ever doing at school, making it interesting and lively, bringing it alive, caught her imagination so often. And she would talk about the fact they put on this drama piece about, you know, a historical thing that they were learning about. And I think that was yeah. great. Now, maybe there is an issue about translating that through to secondary school and, and keeping that ethos going. And I know, yeah. obviously, there, you know, there may be some challenges around that. But, you know, it's a good thing to use yeah. the, the arts in that way. Ab absolutely. It's, you know, I think over time we'll see... You know, kids having to make choice about what they're studying. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going down to what, six subjects in fourth year now, mm -hmm. and you know, parent pressure. I know my, my pressure will be towards you know, maths, physics, English, chemistry. Mm -hmm. You know, these kind of core mm -hmm. uh, disciplines, and the the capacity within the school is, is going to erode over time. Mm -hmm. A two brute. Sorry. Well, you know, you're supposed to be on the side, aren't you? <laughs> 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 yeah, and. Lots of uh, observations, Leslie, but I, I suppose that the first one um, is the kind of government and community organic way the arts um, come about. I mean, um, th and this has always been something going through my head on the whole cultural agenda. I know many uh, creative people in Dundee who the thought of kind of government involvement or support or whatever would say, not, not, not having any of that. You know, so it's, it's, that, it's that balance, isn't it, between... What can government do to support and facilitate um, creativity without um, commissioning, politicisation agenda? I'm sure everyone here has probably read Kirsty Gunn's article that she wrote a couple of weeks ago in a, um, about you know the the the, um, the possibilities that Creative Scotland are, are having an encroaching politi political agenda in Scotland. I mean, I just think it's an interesting observation and. When Gary first started talking there, um, when Gary first started talking there, I was um, thinking about what you were saying about young producers and uh, people working, you know, doing studios in their own in their own homes. But so few of them are on the digital audio um, system that you you talked about, and you drew the comparison with Sweden. I was thinking, well, how do we then, as politicians and government, actually facilitate that? Do you have these facilities? In the local communities, you know, do you have sort of small recording studios in your community centre in Charleston? Do you have it in Lockheed Library? Because um, my experience of the way it's worked in Dundee is people have gone to places like Studio Two Thousand and have recorded there. Correct me if I'm getting this all wrong, but mm -hmm. I have funded that themselves through mm -hmm. part-time work or whatever, or pals or um, people who are prepared to actually put up money and invest in in what they're doing. And that happens a lot, and it's happening in Dundee at the moment. You know, people are going out to others and asking for for investment. Um, so I wonder if that's the kind of government, if, if facilities is the thing, but I also think, you know, you touched on education, I think there does need to be uh, more technical education in school, it is in our uh, manifesto um, about uh, coding workshops in schools, after school clubs and all that, and I think even that kind of technical, that increase of technical knowledge obviously is going to feed into um, 
uh, people's skills, uh, if you like, for the production industry? I think what I'm finding is, I mean, if you look at the Scotland's mm. biggest export musically in the last few years, it's Calvin Harris. He's a self-taught mm. music producer, mm. making making beats at home and posting them up on the internet was how he actually got started. You know, um, he's the biggest <laughs> producer in the world, or what, certainly one of them. Um, so he's self-taught, you know. But what I'd like to see is people just getting access to that information so they can short-circuit and shortcut to, you know, because at the end of the day, we're actually up against the Swedes, <laughs> who are just far better educated in that world. And we need to kind of take... The modern music industry, we need to take that seriously. You know, we need to actually go, actually, you know what, this is actually an opportunity for kids. People can actually do what they want to do for a living and make a lot of money doing it, you know. Um, and I don't, that's not what I'm feeling. When I speak to young kids, what I'm feeling is, not even just young kids, musicians in their 20s, 30s, they, 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 they're so frustrated that they can't monetize it that they kind of almost poo-poo that side of music. It's like they're, mm. they're so anti-major label and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And that's fine, but I really believe that that's because it's something they don't really understand. They don't know about it. They don't know it's there, you know? Whereas all my friends, because I've been in that side of the business for, God, you know, 20 years doing that, maybe 30 years in, in total, um, all my friends are self-made, creative, music-making people that make a living from it, you know? And the I most successful ones are the producers. A, a bigger sort of cultural thing within Scotland, because I, I noticed the same thing in my own um, line of work, where actually the way to sort of not get fired and to make some money in life is to be an editor, not a reporter. <laughs> and actually, when you, when you sort of look at uh, even gender equality as well, mm -hmm. you can notice there's been change in the reporting end of things, but mm. actually... Where the power really lies, yeah. it's still pretty much, you know, the folk who've figured out early doors mm -hmm. that that's the place, that's the centre of power and that's the place to be. It might not be very glamorous, you might not get your kipper on the front of a paper, but actually you're quietly running it. Mm. And, and there seems to be something, maybe it's a bit where I can remember back to the days where Glasgow was worker city in 1990 and mm. there was a bit of a, an unhappiness with, with, with talk about success you know, with, 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 with being self-employed, with being your own boss, mm -hmm. with being a boss. You know, all those things are, are at work against the kind of ethic in Scotland that you want to be a skilled worker. You don't necessarily want to be out there a, a little alienated from your old pals because you think you're better than them because you're you're setting yourself up as some kind of boss. I do think we slightly sort of um, suffer from that in Scotland, you know, and also a little bit of we're, we don't like to push ourselves forward and, you know, a lot of them, a lot of getting on in the music industry, you know, is social skills as well, and you need to be able to um, go into meetings and represent yourself, and uh, you know, um, yeah. I'd, 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 I want to, culturally, because we're talking about culture, I'd love people to actually to go. Actually, this is a great thing. We want to be involved in this. We want to do that rather than kind of hiding away from it because they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nicola, you've been waiting for um. some, the Scottish Conservatives, I should say. Um, yeah, I think youth say that it's what struck me, um, a few years back, uh, there was a student in, um, a school in Edinburgh that had a, an actual music school, mm -hmm. it was the only one in Scotland 
and, uh, and so are the other arts as well. I mean, somebody once said to me the reason that Dundee is so good at computer games is that for several decades it's been a, a good thing to be able to draw because you could get a job with DC Thompson's. Yeah, yeah. It's always encouraged, yeah. and there might be some truth in that. But I, I would, um, I would agree that uh, it's we do need. I would actually like. Is there any chance of appointing Gary as the kind of music mentor for the for the whole? Bizarre. I've got a job. <laughs> Stop <laughs> quibbling, Gary. Stop quibbling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we do. We, no, but I, I, I would honestly, as um, as to be consulted. Yeah. I, I would be more than happy to, to yeah. share any of my experiences yeah. completely free of charge in the interests of but, but moving you, things you've forward. You've got yeah. the microphone and you've got a whole stack of politicians in front of you. And I do know you well enough to think that you have got something directly you might want to ask them in terms of what would help Dundee, the arts, music, life. Yes. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> uh, well, I know what would help. Uh, I mean, I know several things that would help. Is there any? Are there any one of our politicians? I don't. I don't want. I don't want the government. When Kirsty Gunn said um, that uh, the Creative Scotland was Scottifying the whole thing, I thought, God, I wish the heck they were, because then I wouldn't be struggling to, 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 to sort of get money to pay artists to teach traditional music at the Lightning, and, and I wouldn't be sort of getting, gathering letters from everywhere in support of getting the Jimmy Shand collection conserved so it's available to the public. Um, and actually, that's something for you to remember, Shona, uh, if you'd like to to tell you. No, no I mean, I wasn't making a direct pitch I'm, for I'm me. I'm just right. <laughs> I wasn't making a direct pitch for my stuff. But, um, I, don't want, I don't want the government actually interfering. But what would the five of you, the five politicians, what would you think would be the thing to do? I mean, I think encouragement, more, more music originating from Scotland, not necessarily Scottish traditional music, which is my field, but music that originates here, to be seen by our young people. They don't see enough of it, and I don't care whether we do that through giving the broadcasters a kick up the back end, or whether we do it by getting them into concerts, uh, getting them to see big name acts coming to the cities and all the rest of it, and getting them involved, but what I ask you, would you do that would make a serious difference? Because culture and the arts are not films. Okay, let me just take a couple of points. Actually, can you just put that, the microphone to the lad behind you with the green shirt thing? When, when you were talking about the problems in primary schools, you started nodding like your head was coming off. So <laughs> you, you look like you have left primary right enough. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was that about? Well, I mean, I've got... Um, I've got a sister who's just who's just gone into first year uh, from primary, and I think I, I couldn't give a specific date, but around I would say primary three four, um, arts just stopped from curriculum, and it was mentioned here, um, and so there were no there were no art specialists, there were no drama specialists, there were no music specialists, which for her was totally bizarre bizarre because that's that's what she's obsessed with, it's, you know, she says arts is what she wants to do, and to go like four or five years of primary education um, without that, without, without arts um, there waiting for you at school um, was difficult and she, she became really engaged in extracurricular activities but what's really worrying is that a lot of people won't when, when that is cut. Um, 
And not only that, but she's now that she's in, in secondary school, um, first of all, not even all of the secondary schools in Dundee offer uh, all of the artistic, artistic subjects. Like, I think one or two don't offer drama. Um, and many of the schools that do offer drama won't uh, make it available until at least third year. Um, and so to go seven years without, without arts education in school is baffling because then you're totally, you either lose your interest or you find it really hard to get back into it. And that's, I think that something has to be done at that level because yeah. surely the easiest way to implement it is in schools. Okay, and there's a, a, another gentleman right out there on the left side. Um, I think like what the lady said earlier, the problem is trying to get the staff in. With £23 million worth of cuts coming to Dundee and £300 million worth of cuts coming to the whole of Scotland, it's fair enough. Shona will probably say there's £100 million going into education to close the attainment gap, but will that be spent on the abs? And like Maggie said, how, how, how are they able to harness the creativity if we can't get teachers through the doors? Never mind instrumental instructors um, with Bell Street um, Music Centre just up the road facing closure as well. It's not really going to help young people and it's just not going to help at all in general. I mean, I'm one of the pupils that um, have benefited from free instrumental lessons. I went to Bell Street um, to do lots of different things. I've had uh, great experiences to sing alongside the RSNO and Leslie Garrett. Um, because of this, and it's just a shame that further pupils might not get this opportunity. Okay, right, now everybody wants to talk, and let's, let's just take, are these all related points to that one? Yeah, well let's, let's sweep, there's somebody who's just thinking on his feet, he's going to make it work if it kills him, so yes, the lady here and then yourself, and then let's hear some response from the, the panel. If Bell Street's not actually fit for purpose, so it's going to Lawton Road, so it's not closing because of cuts. It's closing because the building is no longer appropriate, so it's just moving. There's no disabled access, and there's been people have had to accidents, etc. And there's no parking around. Whereas Lawton Road, there's parking. It's availability for parents to get in there very easily. So it's not down to cuts. It's still there. So the facility will move to somewhere that's yes. better. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's a bit of relief. And then, lad there. Hello. Um, my my point is more about what comes after actually. So say we fix this, say that students are getting the support that they need in primary school through specialist tuition, specialist teachers, etc. Then they go on to university and then they are out suddenly in the job market. Then what? Um, one of our senior academics here at Abertay um, did a piece of work two or three years ago about skills gaps in the creative industries and people who go through creative industries, industries degrees. Um, and yes, while there's stuff that we can do that to address it in the curriculum, as Gregor knows, um, sometimes the best we can do is illustrate to students what they don't know and where do they go to get that knowledge. And the problem is that actually a lot of those services, a lot of those facilities, a lot of that consultation is getting cut and it no longer exists and things are scaling down. So what do we do for people who've got a very specialist creative industries degree, go out into the big bad world, and then they're faced with an insurmountable problem, such as a business problem, which they simply cannot face themselves and do not have any support from the government to face. Okay, Shona, um, you know, let's take that whole gamut of, of, of the, the absence of formal tuition even at primary and secondary school, which would make everything subsequent to that feel like a little bit, you know, locking the stable door after the horse is bolted. 
Well, I think it's important that the the core skills, if you like, are are able to develop in kids, whatever those are. And um, if you look at what's uh, happening in Dundee through the Aspire program, albeit these the Aspire program only at the moment operates in those schools in the most deprived areas, but I know they're looking to to widen that out. And what it does is it brings in specialists, um, people who excite kids and drama, dance and and art um, to uh, music, sorry, drama, dance and music to um, really grab their imagination. And it's grabbing that imagination that then leads on to wanting to learn an instrument and so on and so forth. Um, but it and sounds like it sounds like what's happening then. Forgive me if I because I don't know this well enough. Is that um, instead of having bolted in staff who are there in the schools, you're kind of slightly reliant to projects. Well, I guess there's always been a bit of a debate in education around the generalist and the specialist. We've had the same debate with PE um, for many years about what what is the responsibility of the classroom teacher in terms of the core skills they are expected to impart and what knowledge. Are they not able okay, to impart? Should there be, should there be um, music tuition in all secondary schools? Well, as I understand it, the I mean, there certainly, um, as I understand it, is an offer of music tuition in secondary schools, and indeed the offer and the guarantee will be that every child will leave primary school um, able to uh, play a musical instrument. When I think about my daughter, I mean, she's gone through about six musical instruments, there's been lots of offers at her secondary school for music tuition. It's not mandatory though, it's a voluntary, if they want to learn an instrument there is the opportunity to go out of class okay, to do so. so. How, how are we getting gaps like the one described there? Well I think because... What Stay is, with me questioner, if you keep listening it really works <laughs> at this point you know. Well um, I, I think the debate is about primary school and you know there is uh, whether or not the best way to develop um, music or drama or dance or whatever skills in the arts in, in general and, and broadly speaking, whether that's best done through specialist teachers coming in or whether it's best done in a different way. The different way Dundee is doing it is through the Aspire programme and it's about trying to grow confidence using um, uh, arts, the arts to grow the confidence of the child rather than it being about you're going to learn the violin or you're going to, be, you're going to do this. And it works because when you go into the schools and you see the kids engaged with these programmes, it has captured their imagination. Now, the bit that they're now looking at is, well, how do you what, how do you build on that? How do you get kids to point you were making, uh, Connor, about career opportunities? How do you get kids to think about these huge range of careers when they get to secondary school based on some of the interests that might have been triggered by the okay. Aspire programme, for example. And that's the bit I think we need to do more about. Yeah, I'll just finish with one other thing. The creative industries is like is one of the six big growth areas of Scotland. It's now a partnership with Scottish Enterprise to say, look, the creative industries is this huge opportunity and we're going to focus on growing that industry and that means we're going to have to ensure that the skills gap because all these skills are going to be required that we match that up with what schools are doing so there is a job to be done there's also a board being established as I understand to inform government so Gary if you're um, you know we need people like you to inform 
government about yeah, not just focusing on what you know the obvious but yeah. actually to think about some of the things you were raising today about the music industry yeah. i'm okay. not sure people will have thought about that right well um obviously jenny you've been involved with the sistema project that your family's been very involved with is there a different model then for how to try to reach kids with music yeah yeah there is um i mean something shona said there you know about the opportunity Leslie, it was um, about five years ago after I was just elected and I had been down in London and watched the Simon Bolivar Orchestra in the Royal Festival Hall. A friend took me to see them and I sat there, this is about ten years ago now, and thought this would be fantastic for Dundee. Um, when I was elected I started campaigning on that, then took a back seat from the campaign because of the, the politics involved in that with, with uh, between us and, and the council and it very much took on as a community project and other people have managed to push it to the stage that is going to Gary's home community of Douglas and will hopefully start uh, very soon and it's had great support from musicians in the city as well but it's about that opportunity because at that point Leslie I put in um, an information request to the council on how many kids in each school were getting individual tuition and it was like a map of poverty across this city uh, the variance in it at Sidlaw View, one of the most deprived schools in Dundee, there were four children in the whole school getting one-to-one -to -one to music tuition. In Fort Hill Primary, the, which is bigger than uh, some of the, one of the secondary schools in Dundee because so many parents want their kids in it, it's the most affluent primary in the city, in Brotty Ferry, 96 children were getting one-to-one -one tuition. So you just see that. And that's the thing about there is the opportunity, and I think some music teachers in the city have admitted themselves that it is easier for them for them to to tutor uh, more middle class children that have the the um, have the resource at home, have the backup at home, have been encouraged to practice, and all of that. And the chief executive of Systema, I've met with them several times. Nicola Colleen said to me, she said, Jenny, until a music teacher goes into a heroin addict's house and gives them music tuition there, then they're doing what I'm doing. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the Sistema project, because it is actually benchmarked and evidenced as well. Aspire, um, I'm sure, has great intentions at the moment. There is no evidential base around well, it. It's actually working yet, but hopefully it, it will. Um, so to answer Sheena's question, I think what we need to do, and I think where government can really help here, is to actually have proper... Um, really rigorous music tuition and lit musical literacy in schools and I think with the specialist teachers you know Shona was saying there is a debate on whether it should be used I mean it's part of the bigger problem in education there are there are a shortage of teachers in our schools and the specialist teachers have been taken out there are actually 4,000 fewer teachers in Scotland since um, Shona's government came to power that is a problem because you've then got classroom teachers delivering specialist lessons such as PE such as music mm. but we can also get to the bottom of how much time in the four years teacher training these teachers are spending on actually learning how to teach music specifically or learning how to teach PE specifically and the quality of that so I would argue very strongly for specialist teachers at primary school and secondary school level and much more rigorous opportunity for all of these kids to be properly supported in their music but tuition. The important bit there though is Jenny mentioned about the, the difference in the um, those kids taking up a musical instrument. That was what 
um, really initiated Aspire in the city because there's a bit missing in all of that and that is about the confidence of kids to uh, want to uh, learn. I mean, it's okay, you can't just stick out a violin in a, a kid's hand and expect them to be inspired yeah. to want to. It's about more than that. It's about them um, being uh, connected with you know, music, not just music, but drama and dance, anything that brings them out of themselves and builds their confidence. Okay. And that's what Aspire is really right. good at Okay, doing. we've got two systems working. <laughs> well, here. And Aspire is working with Systema, incidentally. That's, that's so they're working. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, what I'm going to do, I know you've all got something to say on this, but I'm going to take another couple of questions and then ask you to kind of feed, mm -hmm. and come to come to you who haven't spoken yet, to feed some remarks in there. Because after all, we've only talked about music and everyone's going to hands are going to go down now. But I mean, there's plenty more to talk about within the sphere of culture. So let's have some other questions that take us somewhere different. There's three gentlemen in the middle there. Just reach wherever you can first, Chris. There was a report recently from Tech Nation that said that if you got a job in the computer industry in Dundee, the jobs are being advertised at £38,000 a year, which is a pretty good pay. Uh, how can we equip Dundee kids who are maybe going through Aspire or are maybe doing art at school or whatever to get to the point where they can challenge with these jobs? Because I think one of Gary's former colleagues and Danny Wilson went on to make a lot of money in um, writing computer games music, Chet Grimes. And uh, it seems to me that there are jobs there and the possibility of prosperity, but we're not quite taking them and they're possibly being taken by people from other places or the jobs are sometimes being exported to cities so what can we do okay um, I must say I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all the time here that um, this could just as usefully be a local government hostings for the amount of things that are coming out there quite relevant to councils but anyway when you go um, perhaps the flip side of a 38,000 pounds a year job is the precarious nature of um, creative practitioners as uh, things currently stand in Scotland the vast majority of artists whether they be musicians um, visual artists, performers, writers are actually holding down second jobs, are receiving benefit, are actually surviving on very precarious sums. And if this is a profession and a culture that we value, then I'm curious as to how the panel value the practitioners that are there to deliver that culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, and there's one more, I think, beside you. Um, I'm just interested in, uh, to hear Gary's experience in St Saviour's as, um, you know, in the music department, how much did it influence you? Well, I, I, I didn't study music because um, at my school you were encouraged if you were good at more academic subjects to concentrate on them. And I had a choice between art or music. And uh, my parents really wanted me to do art because it was more likelihood you can go into art college, which is actually what I did before I left to go and pursue music. But I never formally studied music. Quite honestly, my memory of it is that, that at that time, this is the 70s we're talking about now, that, that it was just a place for people to skive off, you know. It was treated as a remedial subject. It wasn't, um, it wasn't taken seriously. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying by the teachers that were there. I just... I just Again, it's cultural, you know. Okay. I think that's changed, but how much, I don't know, you know, because I'm not in schools, so. Right, we've got another question. Yes. I think um, Gary touched on a really, really good point. So in schools, I feel like we're much more 
lenient towards if you're doing science or business or they're like regarded as proper subjects. And I think that there needs to be more of, I'm not sure what anyone of you can do about it, but I think that there needs to be more of a cultural change on why, how society views other subjects totally. than just like yeah. conventional. And I think that's the difference that I was talking about in Sweden. They take it very, very seriously. Yeah. Music is a is a great Swedish export and has been to yeah. even Goava, but even before that. But the, but um, you you know now it's it's serious because they've taken it seriously. So the culture has has had years to mature as well. You know, and we need that to, so that you've got um, you know this is not something that you can do overnight. It's kind of something that you need in the as you say. It's kind of in the got to be in the attitude in the culture. You know. We've got to take it seriously. I think I said that earlier, and we've got to take modern music seriously as well, and not just traditional forms of music, which I'm not saying you don't take those seriously. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just, I'm just, as everyone knows, I can bore for the universe about Nordic countries, but this, so I'm playing my one Joker card at this mm -hmm. moment, and then there's no more mention of it at all. But um, it is the case in Norway, which is our nearest neighbour, that um, a lot of the northern counties have what they call a cultural rucksack program, where each kid has a three weeks of experience with different art forms, by which I mean they go to the people's house, they do, you know, they, they immerse themselves completely for a week. And in fact, you'll find lots of Scots there because they've run out of Norwegian artists. So I met Chris Stout actually, the Shetland fiddler over there. And I suspect that, that being involved in that culture, which he found quite unnerving, because for him as a Shetland fiddler, the whole object of the exercise is to try to get people to dance as soon as you see the feet tapping and people beginning to get up, you can relax. Everybody likes you. Whereas in Norway, there's a hardanger fiddle tradition where everyone just sits and listens and watches you, which he found very unnerving. But strangely enough, uh, just last year, Chris was involved in a really brilliant Shetlandic opera. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it got rave reviews everywhere. And I'm convinced he got some of that experience from having been over there in the first place. But the Norwegians are going through artists like there's no tomorrow because of that single commitment they've given to, to children and it just strikes me that everything we're talking about here is much less ambitious than that to be blunt so let me go to those who haven't spoken already and see if you can sort of shake our worlds on that front um is there something ambitious that you could see like that and can anyone pick up if you can the point about you know the computer games and the music within that is kind of an industry actually which could be looked into and the point about how do you value professionals, basically, when I can remember doing a hustings 20, 30 years ago, and a very prominent writer was having to thumb to get to the opening of his book. And I suspect it's not changed. So, you know, here we are, and we've sort of gone, in fact, 30 years, I'm not that old. But still, you know, it could well be the same um, in another 20 years. So how do we change this? So let's start with you, first of all, Lauren. Um, I know that you said that the creative industries are quite a sort of precarious um, place to be employed, but I think that's actually not really the case. Um, at the moment in Scotland, we employ 71,800 people, which is 12% more than we did in 2011. So it's growing, and that's a really good thing. We can only help that. Um, us as Lib Dems, we want to help schools um, create up partnerships, create links with colleges, with universities, with local businesses, because there is a really big skill shortage, especially in creative industry, especially in coding. I'm not really, I, I, don't, I wouldn't even hesitate to put more sort of jobs out there, but there is definitely a skill shortage and it's probably me that's contributing to it. Um, 
we need to get kids more involved in stuff like that. Um, we've got a penny for education. We want to take one pence of every pound that people earn over a certain amount and put it straight into education. And we want to give that to the teachers to choose how to spend, not some sort of faceless bureaucrat um, in Holyrood. We want to let the teachers actually choose how to spend that. So that could be homework clubs, but it could be more teachers. It could be specialised teachers. And I really hope that it is from my own personal point of view. I would love to see... Um, more music teachers, more art teachers, because when you're a primary school teacher, you're having to teach everything, and you can't be an expert in everything, you can't be perfect at everything, so let the people that actually know what they're doing come in and teach these kids properly how to play instruments, how to act, how to throw their voice, whatever. Okay, I'm wondering if we've got head teachers up there, so I saw an awful lot of eyebrows shooting around at the mention of the money going straight to schools. But no, no, that's fine. Okay, fine. Thanks. I, I think I think if to, to try and bring bring some of these different ideas we've been talking about together, uh, Grand Theft Auto was developed in Dundee because of the Timex factory, and that meant there were a lot of Spectrum ZX computers uh, lurking around, or, spa, or, or spare parts were easy to get hold of, or um, and I'm not I'm not going to pass comments into how how some of the, these parts found their ways into. Uh, uh, teenagers' bedrooms and, and that kind of thing, but it, it, it's about creating the opportunity for that to happen. And so, so we need. I think Dundee is ideally placed to be a creative cluster. It has all, 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 all the um, sort of characteristics of, of something like that. It has relatively low costs of living. It has a, a, a thriving university sector. It has an, an art college. It has a whole range of different educational institutions that can link in together. And I think that enables us to, to, to make some of the links that, that Lauren was talking about, but, but actually th think about it a little bit more creatively. We need to, in the same way as we've seen consistent investment and support for um, uh, money going into science, science and technology, we need the similar investment into the arts and, and to have, have the two go side, side by side and hand in hand. So you, we, we have a, a, a young generation that has the capacity not only to code, but to be creative as well. And I think uh, Jenny was talking about Il Sistema. It's, it's something that being able to create and be creative with other people is, is a very, very important part of that. It's not just about being an individual artist or, 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 or functioning on your own. It's about being part of something else. So it's about supporting the, the, the facilities that we need for that, whether in school, and I think it, it's vital that we have these facilities in school, but beyond school, in, in the broader community as well, having publicly owned spaces that have these facilities, having, having publicly owned spaces that uh, community groups don't have to pay extortionate amounts to rent to be able to use. They, these are the kinds of things that will enable this creativity and the learning that goes hand in hand with that creativity to happen. To answer the, the point directly about a precarity of work, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, our intermittent work scheme is designed to, to uh, tackle exactly that. So there is support, there is financial um, capacity to enable people to, to be creative, to, to have the jobs when, when, they, come, when they come up, to, to take up those kinds of jobs and not be... Um, not be forced to move elsewhere, not be forced to, to run to, to London or, 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 or elsewhere in, in, in Scotland, so that we can retain the skills, the expertise and the specialisms here in Dundee, or actually anywhere in, in, in the North East. So it doesn't, we don't have a drain away from 
where, where we need them, where we need the teachers, where we need the where we need the specialists, and open up our, our education and our community spaces so that can be interaction between those specialists and the kids and, and young people coming up. Okay, Nicola. We must talk to the literature and um, students and there's definitely a situation where the education system is underfunded, we don't have um, enough teachers to, to you know, young people aren't doing STEM subjects, which, you know, as far as I'm aware, you have to program video games, and so they need that base, that kind of knowledge to develop. So that is an issue that um, teachers have to address very but to less touch to to some page. Yeah. And but at some of the financial literacy, um how do we teach young people or the older people as well how to make you know Yeah, music, writing, video gaming, profitable, so that they don't access this sustainable career. Um, I think there's a lack of, you know, financial, let's say, around that, you know, creative industries. Um, so, so that's a ridiculous kind of industry and tourism so that we develop strategies that would make and creative industries easier for individuals. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'd like to put a couple of questions just quickly and then let's have some more from the audience <coughs> and just see who wants to pick this up. Just very specifically, film studios. I mean, we can go round in circles on this one everywhere. Seems to. I think Brian Cox wants a film studio here, although when I tried to link through to the story about it, it seems to have disappeared. I don't know if that says something about the proposal. But um, is it worth having a film studio? Because we seem, you know, do we need one? Is it vital? We seem to have lost a, you know, the Game of Thrones. We've if you actually look within the BBC, BBC Wales is pumping out dramas at the whole time. But is it about studio facilities or is it about something different? So maybe there's a, something we could talk about there. Is there anybody in the audience who feels strongly about film or anything like that? Studios, the BBC? Um, we obviously have mills left over. And there was one that was um, invested in just last week. And as far as I'm aware, part of the investment is to be hotel to be in keeping with the beds that we need. Um, and the other half could be, if put to the investors properly, become a studio. And it's not just, obviously, the art that come out of it, etc. but we've also got 
joiners who go along and do the stages and then all the different industries that come along with it. So I think, you know, with encouragement from central government and on the local side of things as well, we would be very well placed to hold something like that. Um, we've got a big problem in Dundee, the old, if you didn't blah, you'd burst. Um, and we need to start blah about Dundee. We need to be gallus. We need to let people know what we are doing here. Gary, as you said at the beginning, has got this fantastic movie that's coming out. Um, and I've contacted the DCA and Gary's going to do Q&A. And we're going to try and make it like a um, a premiere, a premiere <laughs> for Gary's because in Dundee, if you talk about aspiration, we need inspiration. We need people to aspire, and what better to inspire a kid than somebody who's from Douglas and he's got a film coming and they're talking about Oscars? That's inspiring. That's what we need. We need inspiration. I'm sitting beside one of the most famous women in Dundee, and she's just she done. <laughs> That's how inspiring she is. So we we need to make sure that we're telling people what we're all about. Okay, thanks. Um, <clears throat> lads in the middle. Sorry to keep calling you lads, but it does distinguish you from everyone else around you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a continuation of the, of the mention of the DCA. Um, at, the DCA at the DCA, there's a, there's a, a scheme called the Dundee Young Ambassadors, uh, which is a, a group of people, um, and they meet weekly, and essentially what it is is they watch films. And, and, and not, only, not only just for, for enjoyment, but it's uh, independent foreign films that have uh, just been released um, and they're going around film festivals and uh, they program uh, what will be on at the, at the Young Persons Festival um, around uh, usually late end of the year um, at DC. and I think that I mean everyone loves films so the problem is not that in films that people don't like films um, and that people don't want to make films um, young people are dying to make films it's just that the equipment is really expensive um, if you want to make a film on your own um, and to do it professionally and properly um, and also realistically if you want to make a film um, that is not set in Dundee you can't do it here uh, and, and this opportunity of a, of a film studio and things like that allows all these creative opportunities to, to flourish and, and begin to develop and I think that not only for young people but um, specifically young people they Young people want to make art of all forms, uh, I think, and that's that's an interest that almost everyone has in some capacity. Um, and I think that the You'd creation. You're surprised about the oldies as well, you know. We all <laughs> well, <laughs> but I do take your point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that I think it's uh, leading on from what Maggie said that I think it's part of being a human being is 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 uh, art and okay. culture. And that's, well, let me yeah. let me don't come in that. Um, yeah, the film studio particularly. The, you know, where, where it's worked, uh, which is uh, in Belfast, in the Game of Thrones uh, production over there, and, and in Cardiff, the Doctor Who production moving there, is uh, where there's been a kind of uh, aligned strategic investment into these places. So you know, something like Game of Thrones, something like Doctor Who takes a lot of skills across the board. So it's not just filmmaking, it's not just television making, but set and, and CGI and all the, all the stuff that goes along with that. Um, and the, there was a kind of skills investment that, that ran alongside that. So you know, if you're going to put up a studio somewhere, then you have to have all the rest of the, the investment in the running alongside it to make sure that the skills don't run out. Uh, you, know, you saw Outlander and Cumbernauld uh, 
suck everyone away from from River City or whatever it was. You know, so everyone left Paisley or Urban or wherever it was they <laughs> were filming River City to go and work in, in Cumbernauld. There wasn't capacity for both productions to run at the same time and it sucked people up from England and we get all the complaints about uh, about that. So you know, there needs to be a skills investment plan alongside building a studio if it's going to happen. Okay, so thoughts about this. Um, well, let's start off with Maggie. Do you have any thoughts from the Greens' point of view about a film studio? Yes or no? Y yes. Yeah, uh, in, in a word, we, we support, I, I think that the, the proposals for a, for a film studio are important. Uh, and as you say, along with investment in, in the, the, the okay. surrounding... Well, how would you organise this? Because every, everywhere in Scotland wants to be the one. This is a bit like the one about, you know, having a, a, a space, you know, station, whatever. There's everywhere, including Campbelltown, wants to do that. So how would you decide which, which to invest in? Uh, How would you go about it? I, I, I think if, if we look at the existing ecosystem, if I can use that word, of creative um, talent, of, of expertise that sits in Dundee, I, I think Dundee probably has a very, very good um, argument to be to be the place. It has its links to the universities, it has its links to, to art colleges, it has its, there, there are other sort of uh, beyond, beyond the creative industry <laughs> sector, things like, uh, as I mentioned, lower lower house prices, lower costs of living than, than elsewhere. And I think that kind of um, it makes it fertile territory, makes it, a, makes it fertile territory for us to develop Dundee as a creative cluster, for, for, want, of, for want of a better word, to make sure that we actually have, that we, we make the most out of the expertise that we have at higher education levels, that we make the most out of the, the people who have come back to Dundee, like yourself, so I can't just say, I don't think that an influx of, of skilled people in those areas is necessarily a bad thing, because the next generation no, of Dundonians exactly. get the benefit of, yeah. that, of those skills. I mean, part of what I'm saying in the music thing is, 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 is communication, collaboration with people who are actually in different you know, um, areas and different places. So how, how would you go about the, the, I know it's not... I would love to see... I, well, well, I mean, I've just done a film, and it's something that, that I love so much that I actually... I'm really thinking about where I want to go next with it because I'd love to do it. So, as so far as I'm concerned, art to music to film. Well, actually, even the first album was named after a film. I mean, we've, film is like one of my great passions outside of music, and I actually see the two of them as very linked. I used to actually write lyrics by going and watching movies <laughs> and learn to write in the dark because it, it just actually gave me. I, I'm not stealing lines from the film. It just gives you uh, an a sort of emotional framework to sort of like get ideas, you know. And how did how did Dublin work? Did it use a studio there? Um, Same street. Well, I, I I was basically only involved in the music. I went along for some of the shooting, and they were shooting that day in Sing Street, which is actually John Carney's school that he grew yeah. up in. So it's based based on that. But they but they, he has a, an infrastructure there. He's been making film and television for quite some time, even before he made one seat. He, he had a really um, <laughs> successful television show. And so he has a, a kind of team of producers and even mu music producers and, and um, you know, crews and stuff. This was one uh, thing that was actually said about Wales. That uh, <coughs> I was there as a student um, at the time that S4C was set up, which created such an incredible cluster of small independent mm -hmm. pr pr producers yeah. that then began to get that experience working together, bid together for larger products, and then before you know it, they're producing every piece of drama that moves mm -hmm. um, in the country. Well, let's see, Shona, what do you write to this one? Film studio, do we want one or not? And how do you decide where it should go? Well, I think we definitely want one. I think the decision about where it 
goes is, is um, well, and Ward Park Studios obviously have um, been discussing potentially a, a, a proposal to go to um, um, to build on the Cumbernauld uh, Outlander uh, studio. I think they were talking about 30,000 uh, square feet. I don't know whether they've actually put their plan into the local councillors yet, but they seemed quite determined to do that. Whether or not we should get fixated on where a studio goes, and I think we should think more about how can we create the opportunities for the whole of Scotland to be part of wherever a studio or a number of studios end up being, because part of it will be the, the skill production. Um, we're wanting to push the BBC to set up a, a Scottish production fund using perhaps part of our um, licence uh, fees, which of course, um, when you look at the amount point you've made, Leslie, the amount of uh, licence uh, fees raised here in Scotland, um, that is not reflected in the production um, spend here in Scotland. And I think a production fund would be good. It could be a good partnership with Creative Scotland. And I know that some discussions have been going on between the BBC and Creative Scotland to look at how um, we might take that forward. Uh, so it's, you know, as well as the physical location of the studio, which you know, I'd love it to be in Dundee, but wherever it ends up being, or perhaps more than one, it's also about the infrastructure around that. It's about the skills. It's about the opportunities to really um, seize on that. And if you think about um, the you know the growth, I mean, the figures that Lauren was talking about, the growth of the creative industries as they are just now, it's a success story. Um, and I think you know, building on that, with a film studio, with um, a production fund, I think we could see some very exciting um, uh, productions coming out of Scotland. We already are, but they're kind of under the radar, um, but some really uh, good stuff happening, uh, despite the fact we don't have a film studio. But well, uh, I was, there was a Andrew MacDonald, who's a pretty renowned producer and director in films. He, he produced The Last King of Scotland, mm -hmm. uh, Beach, Sunshine on Leaf, Trainspotting, yeah. um, was talking recently uh, about the situation in Scotland. And he, he, first of all, mourned the decline of the Edinburgh International mm -hmm. Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Secondly, mourned the scrapping of a dedicated Scottish screen agency. Mm -hmm. And finally, very interestingly, when he said that the whole of Britain is not in the Premier League when it comes to, uh, to, to filmmaking conditions, and he said that trying to get politicians to turn up to premiers was really difficult. And he particularly singled out the Scottish government for not coming to the premiere of Sunshine on Leith. Well, I don't know if you follow Fiona Hislop's Twitter feed, but she seems to be at some <laughs> event every moment of the waking day. Well, I, I think, don't know why. Yeah. There, but do you well, I think we'd have to so assume that, that a, a producer of a film would notice yeah. whether or not there was uh, a difficulty. I mean, He's saying basically that it's not getting big enough licks from you I guys. would have loved to, of course. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think when you look at the, um, the focus that Creative Scotland are given to screen... Now, I mean, it's a, I'm looking through, as I say, I've read um, more than I probably would have had I not been coming here tonight. And there's a lot about, about the film industry, about supporting the growth of skills far more than I thought was going to be uh, within their strategy. And this is their plan for the next 10 years. So they're very much focused on uh, not just a film studio, but building the infrastructure around that and putting some strategic money into and of you know and that that's their role it's it's to put 
you know, strategic money into things that will then work. Okay. Um, but, you know, I don't know why someone wasn't at such mm -hmm. a leap, but a great production. And, uh, right, well, I think we'd all have been at the premiere, actually, But let's ask Jenny about this. There's also something that he said where he said, Scots need to be telling stories which um, have the capacity to communicate themselves across the world. Yes. And there seems to be a suggestion there that perhaps we do rather bleak little numbers sometimes, <laughs> um, which communicate with the bleak side of ourselves. But who knows? I, I think one of the most useful things the cultural budget from the Scottish Government can do is to provide capital spend and actual facilities. And I think that has run through uh, various aspects of, of this debate tonight. Uh, we, we're very much behind a film studio, but Sean is right. You know, I mean, Glasgow are mustard keen to get the, the film studio and there are other parts of Scotland as well. And I think Sean is right also to say it's about the, the mix of skills around it. But I would say, I mean, I would argue for any facility to, to come to Dundee and, and have done like the, the, the sports academy and other facilities. But can we touch on the BBC stuff for, for a minute, Leslie? Because I think. I mean, I'm sure some people in the audience were actually there, but quite a few years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, I attended a debate in the Bonner Hall that the BBC actually held about coverage in Dundee. And I wonder if kind of seeing the city on screen as well would give us more confidence in, in that kind of way. I mean, we have got the most beautiful setting here, the most the most gorgeous city, the most stunning uh, river landscape. And uh, we are underserved there is no doubt about it underserved well, by what about BBC. Any with all due respect going to do about it well <clears> well I, mean, I think there is um a i've actually complained about the fact that the backdrop to that we use and mm. it's using bbc yeah. is almost now completely wrong well, absolutely yeah. and, and there is not and, enough money and they have won two updates absolutely and they've won seat so jenny and i both were on a hustings uh, on 2016 Truth at the same yeah. time we both couldn't get in now jenny had booked before me so but what they had to do was send a camera to my living room. I mean, what, you know, the infrastructure is so poor, but, you know. Well, I can, I, can I just hear something? Because, again, I, I, you know, I could wax lyrical about the many years this has been complained about to no effect by some of us. But what are you as politicians going to do about that? Well, you know. Uh, let me, Jenny, oh, Jenny's got the ball. I think there's got to be more pressure from government on BBC to say, actually, you need to, you need to base more coverage in Dundee. There's, the, you know, you say independent broadcasters, you know, but yes, they are. We're not talking about content here. We're talking about reflecting different parts of our country. The BBC reporter based in the city basically goes out to all different uses as a base to report from other places. I mean, my dad calls report in Scotland BBC Byers Road, you know, because anytime you do a box pop, it's somebody in the West End of Glasgow. It's never voices from this city or voices from other the charter renewal process obviously is uh, a key part of that and everybody has the ability to put pressure on the BBC and perhaps we should, uh, someone could all collaborate on, um, you know, uh, there is an opportunity to do something around the charter renewal process because the BBC are very sensitive to criticism at the moment for a whole variety of reasons about their, their Scottish production, um, their, their local output. So they are sensitive to criticism and they know they're being criticised and I think that probably the opportunity is now to, to really address not just um, those issues are important but their infrastructure, you know, that says a lot about the value they put on this city that you're in an attic 
with a backdrop that has, you know, 1970s cars going across the bridge, exaggerating, <laughs> get my meaning. It is, it just says a lot and, yeah. you know, sometimes some nobody turns up to let you in and all that, you know, it just doesn't give, and perhaps we need a kind of media hub, but, you know, I, I know initially there was thoughts about STV and BBC collaborating around a media hub, what, why not? That's a great idea to build on the creative backdrop and the B&A and Dundee really come into its own. But, you know, the BBC have to have to step up to the plate as okay. well. Well, I'm getting can, signals from the back. Can I just put, that put in a word here to say that it hasn't gone unnoticed that the poor quality of coverage in the BBC and Dundee. There have been lots of attempts to do something about that. Yeah. The most recent one, when the politicians united and did that, mm -hmm. Was it directly affected the poor staff in BBC yeah. because they had been uh, told that they had been called in and investigated? Why was there complaints? They were put on the spot, so we had to back off. So it's very difficult to push yeah. when when you're pushing something that's fighting back and yeah. refusing to do anything yeah. about the coverage in yeah. Dundee. So. Well, I was just going to say, um, we, we have uh, reached the end of our time here, but it seems to me, just from the nods in the audience, and given that it's Dundee, I'm taking that nods rather than sort of crazy Glaswegian-like sh shouting, <laughs> means that you're quite excited about that <laughs> idea, um, is that you really do want to see all of you work together to do something about this, because you could make that impact. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, and it's it very that. difficult when it could be something that's blamed on the staff, or indeed yeah. independent companies, like I had myself, who, who lost contracts on the basis of the poor facilities here. So please, mm -hmm. if that's one outcome from tonight, I think we'd all be extremely happy, wouldn't we? Okay, don't commit. Right. So um, I'm going to say thanks very much to everybody who's come um, here tonight, um, but particularly to our panel who are on their last legs and who still managed to make sense of everything, um, and particularly as well to our experts, one of whom at least has got at least four jobs pending, um, <laughs> and the other of which has got a job You're for life. Many more than that. So, uh, please, thank our panel. <laughs>